uh, Josh Bashinsky. Um, Mr. Josh, can you uh, introduce yourself? Hey, Elmo. I'm happy to be here. And thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. That was correct. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, my name is Josh Bashinsky. I'm a PhD ABD in neuroscience, psychology, and philosophy. Uh, I have a TEDx talk called The Future of Google Search and Ethics I did in Northern Ireland in uh, 2015. I have a documentary about Google that I uh, produced. I, I wrote, hosted, and produced. Uh, it's on iTunes. It's called Don't Be Evil, Google's Secret War. Uh, and uh, I have my own system of meditation that I've developed called Bach Meditation. I've been meditating for the last 30 years uh, while I've been taking three black belts and uh, also learning about uh, psychology and neuroscience in my academic studies. Uh, and uh, I have a beautiful wife named Melissa, and we live here in Victoria, BC, Canada. Uh, and I'm happy to be on the show. Thanks, Elmo. Yeah, awesome. So, um, uh, Josh, I want to jump into it and ask you a question. Um, why are you doing all of this? Like, um, you seem to be very <laughs> uh, such an overachiever. Why can't you just uh, relax and just chill? You know, just <laughs> just just be a normal guy. Why be this very very uh, productive person? <laughs> I know it's it's exhausting. Let me tell you. Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, I have trouble sitting still, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and I can, and don't get me wrong. I could sit and I pinched a nerve uh, from doing jujitsu. I pinched a nerve a few years ago. And so I just sat down for months and I played the entire, uh, Witcher three game through all the way through <laughs> with all the extra bonus <laughs> missions. And I played a metal, metal gear, uh, the phantom pain all the way through with all this bonus missions and side stuff. Uh, you know, and I just can't, even when I'm sitting still, I can't sit still. I have to do something. And it's just, uh, you know, like just yesterday, the example is we're watching, my wife and I were watching Netflix and we're watching something called the Umbrella Academy. I mm -hmm. don't know if anybody else there, out there is watching it. And uh, I looked at her and I said, I could make this story so much better. <laughs> like this is, still, you know, it's like, I, I just can't stop. I, my brain just can't stop analyzing things and doing things. So I guess it's, it's some form of uh, AD, ADD probably or something like that, but, mm -hmm. uh, but it works for my benefit. I see. So, um, but uh, you seem to be very focused on uh, men, uh, being on intellectual stuff like psychology and philosophy. And those are uh, very focused on uh, human thinking. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And um, why, why, why philosophy and not like uh, s some very um, like uh, science stuff, like uh, mathem and mathematical stuff? Why philosophy? That's another very good question. So ever since I was a child, I realized that I was different than everybody else. One of my earliest memories, I must have been three or four because it was before uh, kindergarten. Uh, I was riding uh, the 60 Pemina bus uh, in Winnipeg, Manitoba, uh, driving north past the uh, legislature building, what uh, in Winnipeg is called the Golden Boy, and I was heading towards the bay. And so any Winnipegger listening to this will know exactly where I was and exactly what I was doing. <laughs> and my grandma was taking me to see a movie downtown. And uh, my grandma was in a conversation with some guy on the bus. And it was before I could even, I understood language, but I couldn't form my, formulate my own sentences quite yet, or not, not very well anyway. And the guy that she was having a discussion with uh, had just said a contradiction. 
So he had said A and not A at the same time. He'd said like, I went up the stairs and down the stairs simultaneously, or he said something that was clearly a contradiction. And I noticed it. And uh, I looked at the bus driver because they were all, all three of them having a conversation. He didn't seem to notice. Mm-hmm. My grandmother didn't seem to notice uh, that he'd made a, 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 a mental mistake. Uh, he, he'd said nonsense. And then I realized, oh, he said something nonsensical. Oh, I'm the only person who realized it. Oh, this is the way the rest of my life is going to go. This is what I realized <laughs> at, at three years old that I had a different kind of brain and, and it, I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm smarter and philosophy is not smarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm not saying my brain can go faster than the people. That's not, not the case uh, on IQ tests. I test anywhere from 120 to 160 IQ, depending on the test. That's, that's good. I guess I don't really like IQ tests. They're a crappy way of testing intelligence in, in my opinion. Um, but what philosophy has is wisdom and what philosophy does is it goes slowly and it analyzes every thought and it analyzes every concept mm-hmm. to make sure that those thoughts and concept uh, have a basis that they are not nonsense that they have something uh solid or something real that they are attached to uh that they're not convoluted or backwards or messed up and not only that they have something real attached that they're, that they're attached to but something really important that they're attached to uh, example for when it comes to computer, uh, uh, when it comes to artificial intelligence, for example, I keep saying that, you know, intelligence is noticing things faster and noticing more, but the trade-off between noticing more and noticing faster is nothing compared to noticing better. And that's, I'd call that computerized wisdom. And so that's what you get from philosophy. And that's why I always sought it out because I always wondered why I always wondered what the big questions were. Uh, and I didn't want to go fast. I wanted to go slowly. And I want to go, wait a minute, let's, let's go back to three statements before when we were talking about this. And I wanted to see and analyze why we we're here, what we're all doing, uh, what we're all supposed to be doing, uh, what's good in life. And those basic human questions that, that 99.9% of people just take for granted and, and try to move past as quickly as possible. Uh, knowing that, um, for example, uh, you have a lot of uh, knowledge on philosophy and even neuroscience and psychology, um, how would that, uh, how did that make you different when it cur- it come it came to your approach to life? You know, some people are uh, think simply and live simply, just pray, eat, and be happy. And uh, studying philosophy, how did that change your view in life? That's another really good question. So, and you know, there's nothing wrong with that, that simple philosophy you just mentioned, you know, pray, eat, and be happy. Um, the, the irony in that they've done studies of happiness indexes around the world, and some of the poorest countries with the least amount of material wealth scored the highest in the happiness indexes, right? And so there really is something to the philosophy of just pray, eat, and be happy. Uh, you know, simple work, uh, no stress. You just do what you do. And, and, and I've got, there's a lot to be said for that. And I've, I've sought that in my life, I assure you. I've noticed the, the happiness that, that can be a part of a simple life. But the problem is, is my life is just not simple. Um, 
Uh, I was abused as a child. Uh, I had a lot of questions and a lot of angst and a lot of uh, 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 longing to know why I was born where I was born and why I was treated the way I was treated. Uh, and then that that made my mind think more about, well, how should we be treated? What What is morality? What is ethics? And things like that. And that led me all the way through my life to come to the answer that I've come to now, uh, which is not necessarily my answer. It's the answer of another philosopher named Plato. But I've taken his idea and I've run with it. And I think I've, uh, I think I've expanded on it, or at least I, I fully understand it now, uh, whether he fully understood it or not. And we're not sure, but I fully understand it now. And I, I like to say that Plato did as well. I, I give all the credit to Plato. And that's his concept of the good. And uh, it's very, through a complex system, it comes back around to that very simple truth that you mentioned. You know, uh, there is, we, we worship the sublime, we worship the divine, and that's in many other forms, that is also the good. The good is the concept of what's good, what's goodness, what's good, what's the goodest, what's uh, the most positive, what's the most moral, what's the most ethical. Uh, what feels the best uh, and what is has the most joy and the most happiness. And that's the concept of the good wrapped into one. And uh, that's what I worship. That's what I seek. That's what I now know. Uh, and that's uh, the, the whole foundation of my meditation system. Uh, and meditation, both in the Western sense of contemplation, of understanding, but meditation in the Eastern sense as well, of uh, coming to an emotional appreciation of it, coming into a spiritual appreciation of it, coming into more of a religious appreciation of it. Uh, and so through the complexity, I've come to simplicity. And um, maybe that's the path that some of us need to take. Maybe some people are, 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 uh, are smarter. Like I said, I'm not very smart. Maybe some people are smarter than me. And they're like, you know, Josh, just, just pray, eat, and, and, and live a simple life and be happy. And I was, I was like, I was always questioning those very ideas until I finally realized what the value of those ideas were and how, how they fit uh, in the universe uh, in general and how they fit for me. Uh, and so, so yeah, eventually I got there, but, but, uh, but it, it, sometimes for some people it takes a complex path. Yeah, so this, I, 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 I created my system of, I call it Bach meditation because my last name is Bashinsky. But as you know, it's difficult to pronounce. So I, I shortened it to Bach, to just B-A-C-H meditation. And if people want to learn more about it, they can go to bit.ly slash Bach meditation. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash B-A-C-H meditation, M-E-D-I-T-A-T-I-O-N, uh, all lowercase, no punctuation. Uh, and um, it's one of my podcasts uh, that I do. And... Um, yeah, I, I came by it completely selfishly, I'll fully admit. It's because dealing with the abuse I suffered as a child, sadly, uh, it, uh, what, what happens, uh, neuroscience has discovered, is that if you abuse a child, uh, what it does is it does not set up their limbic system properly. And then if they, if the, the, when the child becomes an adult and tries to do some stressful events, they don't have a healthy limbic system that can process the stress and then... then uh, get what Aristotle called, uh, called carthesis or carthesis. That is to say, process it, uh, um, understand that the stress is over now and that you're safe and that you can now be happy or you can feel other normal emotions. They, they get more stuck permanently in a fight or flight or freeze decision. And sadly, that's exactly what happened to me. So when I tried to do my PhD, there was too much stress. 
Uh, and uh, I just, I've developed a anxiety and general depression disorder from that. So, uh, so as a result, I uh, wanted to try to find a way to combat that. I want to try to find a way to, to beat that, right? Uh, and um, sadly, the, the state of um, uh, Western science of Western medicine uh, healing anxiety disorders is, is actually still quite low. The, the, the most, the most uh, prescribed drug that they, they use for it is, is 60% of placebo. Now, if it works, that's fine. It doesn't matter if it's a placebo, if it works. But it, uh, for me, it wouldn't work because I knew it was a placebo. <laughs> so if you know it's a placebo, it's not going to work for you, right? Uh, probably not as well. And so uh, I had to develop my own system of meditation. And so I did. So I looked through all the Western authors uh, that, I, that I studied that, uh, that uh, had meditations, uh, Plato, Aristotle, Augustine, St. Augustine to the Catholics, uh, quite, uh, Thomas Aquinas, St. Aquinas to the, to the Catholics again. Um, uh, Boethius, uh, uh, Descartes, a number of others, Rousseau, uh, and Nietzsche to a degree. And then I also looked at a lot of Eastern authors, Lao Tzu, Sun Tzu, uh, Confucius, um, uh, Al-Farabi, uh, Al-Ghazali, uh, uh, Ibn, uh, Ibn Tafial, uh, and a number of others uh, that I'm probably forgetting. Uh, and uh, I kind of came up with this system of meditation uh, centered around, again, Plato's concept of the good, and uh, both appreciating it from a mental standpoint, of a conceptual standpoint, but also appreciating it from an emotional standpoint. And then I used a lot of tricks I learned in neuroscience, a lot of brain hacks I learned in neuroscience and psychology, EMDR, uh, 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 stress, uh, stress, uh, PTSD, uh, trauma disorder, uh, uh, which is used to heal it. Uh, EMDR is used by the Israelis to try to heal PTSD, uh, bilateral stimulation, uh, self-hypnosis, uh, because I realized that there's a, there's a commonality of Buddhist techniques I learned uh, uh, along the way, spin the clouds, tear the clouds. So I realized there was a lot of commonalities to a lot of these different meditative types. And so I, I, I realized a lot of it hinges on being able to enter a trance state. All the uh, chakra meditations of yoga, all of the uh, Qigong meditations of China uh, for, for the most part, and I'm not saying I've totally uh, boiling down all of their systems to this. They definitely do more than what I'm about to say, but I noticed that it was all important on entering a trance state, a trance state, T-R-A-N-C-E, trance state. Uh, and that's a theta state in the brain. And so uh, uh, neuroscience has also discovered more efficient ways of putting people into theta states. And so I just took all these little tricks I've learned both ancient and modern, both from the West and the East. And uh, my, I was very lucky, kind of my life has allowed me to pick up a lot of different tricks, like 30 different tricks uh, to allow people to combat anxiety and combat depression, but also combat any, you, you don't have to be clinical. Uh, you could just be a person who's having a bad day, you know, and it could be a regular person. It doesn't have to be someone who's, who's as mentally and emotionally affected as I am you know, potentially just regular people. It would work even better for regular people. And they can just take the system of meditation. They can meditate and they can, they can get into that trance state and they can analyze and they can meditate and they can appreciate uh, and they can get the carthesis that they want. They can turn the limbic system around. So it's not constantly in fight or flight mode that they can unstick it from that mode and they can start to appreciate other emotions and they can get better cognition from this. They can get better emotional awareness from this. They can feel better emotions from this. 
I, I tell my friends, I don't need any drugs. I don't need to drink. I don't need to, to do any drugs. I have meditation. I can make myself feel these things if I want to make myself feel these things just by closing my eyes and, 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 and uh, meditating on it. So that saved me a lot of money <laughs> from, from drinking and, and, and drugs uh, in that regard. But yeah, that's, uh, that, in a nutshell, that's kind of how I came by the, the, the system of meditation. Yeah, and, uh, all this meditation stuff is really interesting. <laughs> um, but um, I, I, wanna, I wanted to ask, like, um, uh, you're a person who uh, saw your life and you changed it, you know, you turned it around and uh, made something good for, of it. And I feel like you, you know that there's a certain potential in you that would be great someday. And... I don't know if that's re really what what you feel, but um, is there some is that one of the reasons why uh, you've made such attempts in many uh, areas in your life? Because uh, you you seem very successful, but I think that you're looking looking for something more. Um, is that true? Yeah, no, that's that's definitely true. Um... I, it's, it's, um, I don't know if, if I'm great. I know in many ways I'm not. Uh, but I'm definitely trying to seek greatness. Uh, I'm trying to seek something better. I'm trying to push the boundaries of, of uh, I don't know about human wisdom, but I'm definitely trying to push the boundaries of my own wisdom and push the boundaries of my own excellence. Um, both the ancient Greeks the ancient Chinese, the Han, they, they worshipped excellence. Uh, and for the Greeks, it was called aristos. That's the, that's the Greek word for excellence. And that's where we get the word aristocracy. It's the rule of the excellent, or the rules of the lovers, lovers of excellence. That's what the word aristocracy originally meant, that the aristocrats were actually excellent uh, and virtue. Uh, in actual, uh, in actual, not in not in word, not not in in because they lie and say they're excellent, because they actually are, and that's what I seek to be, and that's what I seek to do, uh, and try to benefit the world as much as I can. But as we were discussing before the um, podcast, I, I come at at either exactly the right time or the wrong time because the world this is very sick. Uh, if you take a look at the world today, uh, things are not going so well. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what uh, side of the political spectrum you sit on. Uh, there's political unrest. There's riots in the streets uh, in multiple countries. Uh, there's, there's murders, quite frankly. There's deaths. Um, uh, this is not examples of a well-run society. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on, if you're left wing or right wing, I think we can both agree. I think we would all agree that this is not the way the world is supposed to be. Uh, this is, this is uh, people don't even believe in the same truths anymore. Uh, they can't even agree on basic facts. Uh, we have the rich, the mega rich, uh, 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 ruining life for, for the many. Uh, and that's pretty standard for human society. If you take a look back, historically speaking, that's the way it always works. And the problem with that is that that society inevitably, inevitably collapses because the rich never rule for long-term benefit. Uh, the sad thing about the rich is that they are also usually addicted to something, uh, money, power, sex, 
women, uh, alcohol, drugs, right? They have a lot of that stuff at hand, and so they get addicted to it. And that's just the way that it, human society works. Take a look at Easter Island, uh, the uh, Rapa Nui. They, uh, they had a, a mighty kingdom for some time, uh, but they were using all their wood uh, on the island. Uh, and uh, they knew they were going to use their wood up, but they had no other way of dealing with it. And they, had, they did not have the sagacity or the wherewithal to change their society at all. The rich didn't want it to change. And so they just kept cutting down trees and burning wood until it was all gone. And then they were dead. And that was it. Right? And then they, had, then they had to disperse into the winds and get on their canoes and try to sail for thousands of miles to find other islands out there. Uh, and that's, that's an allegory to exactly every, the way every society has existed. Uh, the rich get into power. They rule with short-term uh, gains in mind. Uh, and then that's it. And so that's what we're facing. And uh, I don't know, are you, are you, um, I'll, I'll talk about that in a second, but being in my position as a philosopher and being in my position as kind of an outsider to society, I see a lot of how society works. Uh, and that's both the blessing and the curse of the philosopher is that because we're weird, because we think a little differently than everybody else, we're usually extended to the, the, the corners of the party, right? The, we're usually sitting beside the potted plant and observing everything else, right? Um, and that, that position affords us both the blessing of seeing how things work, but also the curse of never being listened to or, or quite often not being listened to. And not only that, is that the truths I wanna tell people is not the truths they wanna hear, right? The far left wing right now wants to hear tales of social justice, of how all those people who have aggrieved them are just wrong and should never get, should go away forever and never get the light of day. And on the far, far right, they say the exact same thing, right? Uh, it's, it's the exact same argument, just different targets. You know, those snowflakes are wrong. They just need to toughen up. What's their problem? You know, uh, blah, blah, blah. And anyone of color is bad and yada, yada, the white, white people, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. So, it's the same problem on both sides, but you can't get, you, you know what the problem is? And this is what I tell my left-wing friends. The right-wing never goes away. Those people just don't suddenly wake up and say, oh yeah, I'll be progressive now. And they become progressive. That doesn't happen, right? Even if you can push them a little towards the middle where we can still at least talk, like we're, the left-wing and the right-wing in the world are so divided right now, we don't even talk to each other anymore, right? Even if you, if you push the, the right wing and left wing closer together to the center, so at least now we can get some work done and agree on some, on some basic things, like should we build a bridge here? Yeah, a bridge here would be good. Okay, let's do that. You know, basic stuff that we need for societies to function, any society in any country on the planet. The left and the right can't be so bifurcated because then you can't get any work done anymore. Or it's always a constant threat to get in the way of the work. If the left and the right are too pissed off, then either the right wing right is going to have a protest at your bridge and you can't get it built or the left. And then tomorrow night, the left's going to have a protest at the bridge and you can't get the bridge built, right? We need the left and the right to be closer together. But the problem is that right now, the left and the right both think that they can, they can wag their finger in the face of the other group and that they're going to magically disappear, right? The left thinks if, if, we're, if we just tell them to be more progressive, the right's going to disappear. Oh, Oh, sorry, I didn't realize I was being a jerk this whole time. I guess I'll be progressive now. You know, like, that's not going to happen. That never happens in history. The, the, the right's always there. And same thing with the left. The left is always there too, right? Young liberals don't disappear. Young liberals are born every day, right? And you can't just wag your finger at them and tell them to be tougher, toughen it up. 
you know, you're not really homosexual. Just pretend you're, you're straight. You know, like you can't, you can't do that to somebody, right? It doesn't work that way uh, or whatever it is, whether, whether you believe in that or not, or whether I've offended people out there or not. I'm just saying that, listen, you can wag your finger in the face of the opposite group as much as you want, but they're not going anywhere, right? They have some valid points. If you would just stop to listen just for a second, if the left would listen to the right and the right would listen to the left for just a second, there's some valid points there. And the only way society works, and I mean this, and I've studied it, the only way society works is if you have enough commonality between both groups where they can reach across the aisle to use American uh, sentiment, they can reach across the aisle and shake hands and go, okay, let's put it, let's put away our disagreements for now. And let's get healthcare working in this country. Okay. Well, let's put our, we'll put, let's put away our disagreements for now and let's get the police system working properly where it's not murdering people for no reason. You know, things like that. I write this in one of my books. And when I say book, I use that term loosely because I haven't published it. It's called the zombies. It's available for free. Anybody who wants it. But I write this in my book is that the problem with the problem with this current state of morality that we have, uh, and it, it's, it's just morality of your opinion, really, is what it is. The problem with that kind of morality is that neither side wants to hear common sense. The left and the right wing are so far pushed to their, to their different sides, they want justice now, or what they conceive justice to be, in their small, petty, angry, violent way, right? And that's a huge problem. They don't want to be told by, by wise men such as yourself, Elmo, or me, to, guys, stop disagreeing. We need to agree on, on, on these. We need to agree on how we're going to handle COVID-19. We need to agree on, on how we're going to shut this down and blah, 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 blah. They make, they make masks, wearing a mask, a political issue, which is clearly a medical issue, right? They make it a, a political issue. And, and I know some of us are thinking, ha good, Darwin. You know, we're, we're thinking, well, good. This is proving Darwin's theory right. You know, survival of the smartest and the, the death of the dumbest you know, and, and well, that's a very terrible thing to think, one, you know, but however much you, it makes you laugh, you know, I, I, I laugh at it too. I'm like, that's the first thing I thought, okay, well, Darwin, fine, don't, fine, 40,000 of you go ahead and, and pack yourself into a stadium and, and see how, but, but that's just terrible for the health, for the health system, for the healthcare workers who are, you know, you know, have nothing but empathy and just try to help everybody. And they're, they're getting the casualties on that side as well. So, I mean, obviously that's not the right way to go. That's not the best way to go. Everybody, yes, should wear a mask, but that's the problem. Is we're so we're so political, as you've mentioned, that even stuff like wearing a mask is now political, and so uh, it it really is an issue. And you're right; it is a worldwide issue, and it's people of color and it's people uh, in in lower economic situations that suffer the most because of this. Uh, uh, and it's it's the mega rich that that are not affected. Uh, and more and more, I, the more and more I look at society, the more and more I realize it's the mega rich that are the problem. But the problem is that we have this morality of opinion. And the more the left wing wags their finger, and do you know what I mean by wags the finger? Do you guys have that, that, that phrase in, in the Philippines? Um, not really, no. <laughs> okay, when I say wagging my finger, I mean like browbeating someone. Like, like just, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that. Like nagging somebody. Does that make more sense? Yeah, like a Karen. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like Karen. Yes. The more, but you know, Karen on both sides, there's, there's Karen, there's racist Karen and there's not racist Karen. There's a Karen for every scenario, right? You know, but 
So wagging your finger, browbeating somebody, nagging them. Uh, and it doesn't have to be a woman, of course, it's male, female, transgender, whatever it is, but nagging the other side without good reason, just saying you shouldn't hate trans people, you know, or, or you should toughen up. You shouldn't be such a snowflake. You know, all that nagging that either side does to each other that just infuriates them, right? What happens when you nag a teenager too much? They rebel. They rebel. What happens when you tell them to sweep the floor too much? They say, screw you, I'm not sweeping the floor. And then they leave on a motorcycle. They don't come back for a day, right? It depends on the personalities involved. But the more, you, it, it's pretty clear, the science is pretty clear, the more you nag teenagers and children, the less, <laughs> the less most of them do it. There's a segment of the population that wants to rebel and do the exact opposite of what you told them to do, right? Not all, but some. So it works the same way in politics. The more the left wing nags the right wing to be more inclusive, the more they say, screw you, and the more exclusive they get. The more they tell them you can't say the N-word, the more they feel perverse pleasure by telling an N-word joke in, in private where, where the left can't hear, right? And this is exactly what happens. The left nags the right, and the pendulum swings uh, towards the left until the right can't handle any more of what laws have been broken and what what's happened what's happened to our country they say it's not the country i remember we got to make our country great again and then they vote in the ultimate idiot who who you know why they love trump because trump stands for unapologetically stands for all the things they want to do when he admitted that he he molested women and was proud of it they secretly loved it because that's what a bunch of them want to do right a bunch of them and when when he's, when he's clearly racist, they're like, great, because we are, and we just don't want to pretend that we're not anymore, right? And all these things that they secretly actually espouse to be and want to be and are pissed off they can't do anymore. We can't even tell an N-word joke anymore because the left nagged them too much. And then it swings over from Trump. Now it's going to swing back to Biden. Maybe, maybe it will. I, the, the, the Democrats in America could still screw this up and gerrymandering and vote suppression still exists. And because COVID-19 is happening, I think that actually Trump is going to uh, win this election because I think he's going to claim that the, the election was faulty. And then by the time they settle it out, he, he will have won. But in normal circumstances, the, the pendulum would swing back to the left now, just like it was Bush. It was swung right over to the right and they were all incensed about 9-11 and they went to these terrible wars and killed millions of people uh, just so they could get the oil. So how Burton could get the oil really was the, 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 the main monetary reason why they did it. And then it swung over to the ultimate, the ultimate left-wing figure, Obama. And you think, oh, good, racism is over now. <laughs> racism is not over now, right? But that made them so angry. It made the right so angry that this N-word, right, is what they would say in their, in their words, that this black person got into office and wagged their finger at them and told them to, you know, not be racist anymore and do these things. Then it swung over to Trump again. You see, it's just a pendulum swing between greater and greater extremes. Uh, and... And that's what happens when you have uh, morality of opinion, right? It's just their morality. It's right-wing morality against left-wing morality. There's no centralizing morality to appeal to, right? They, inter they interpret God's word differently. They interpret morality differently. They have their own versions of it that, that none of them talk to each other. And because there's no central morality like Plato's good, for, for like an objective central morality for people to appeal to that is unapologetically neither left or right wing, it just is what it is, uh, viewed in their, in their ways, they can't, they can't get together. And that's, that's what I write in the book, the zombies. They are the zombies. 
They are the zombies running around. The zombie apocalypse has already happened. We're watching it in slow motion. It's these people who don't know what's good and they're, 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 they're seeking brains. That's why I call them the zombies because you know the zombies are always going brains, brains. They're looking for intelligence. They're looking for wisdom and they don't have any. Uh, and they will destroy our world in the process. It's partly because of this machine we've made called the internet and the social media on top of it. And it's, um, it really is an interesting kind of development in history where, uh, you know, and you see this in certain places in history, like ancient Greece. In ancient Greece, in the time of Socrates, Plato, and Aristotle, uh, around 400 BC, uh, Athens was a very rich city. And they did that by winning wars and taking slaves. And it was the slaves that did all the work. And this, this uh, freed up the time of these landowners, uh, these native-born Athenians, uh, who still had work to do, don't get me wrong. Uh, Socrates was a bricklayer. He was a mason. But they had enough time to think, poke their head up and think and comment, right? And had, had have political commentary. So they had the sophists, like Protagoras. Uh, they're called the sophists. Uh, sophos is the Greek word for wisdom. And then you had the philosophers. So the sophos claimed to know what wisdom was. The philosophers were lovers or, or, or seekers of wisdom, and they were seeking what true wisdom was. Uh, Socrates and Plato questioned what wisdom was. Protagoras, the sophists, like, like Tony Robbins, they claim to know what wisdom is, and they're going to tell you, and they're going to sell it to you for 80 bucks in a course, right? Come see their course, and they'll sell it to you. And so whenever hum the human species seems to have but when you have more subsistence living, you're right. You don't get a lot of, of, of workers. You get a lot of people in subsistence living uh, or lower economic brackets talking about politics. Uh, they have too much work to do. <laughs> they don't have time. They don't have the leisure time to sit around and, well, let's, let us discuss justice now, shall we? You know, like, they don't have the time, right? And at the end of the day, they know it's not going to make a difference. They're too pragmatic. They're wiser in a way. They're pragmatic. They have their work to do. They have to, you know, they have to get whatever they have to do. They have to do their basic subsistence living, and it's it's only it's only the the uh, and I'm going to use this word carefully. It's only the dangerous people who talk about politics, and by that I mean the people who have power, the people who can uh, make a decision one way or the other, and, and there could be outcomes of of decisions. I think in in lower economic situations, you do see a lot of religious. You do see a lot of religious uh, people coming out of the lower economic situations. Jesus, of course, is a prime example. I think uh, Muhammad, peace be upon him, is another example of um, uh, people coming out of lower economic situations and becoming religious leaders. Moses is not a very good example because he was part of the aristocracy in ancient Egypt uh, before he and the, uh, the Hebrews uh, escaped slavery. But then they were very poor living in the desert. Uh, I think, I think that's interesting because religion speaks more to emotions. It speaks more to the passions. It speaks more to what I've used in my my meditation system of appreciating the good. And again, uh, uh, that is a, a more direct salve at the end of the day. When your emotions are what's hurting, when you're when you're feeling nothing but angst or 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 sadness or sorrow or suffering because of your economic position. High fluting ideas of the good are perhaps not seen as that useful. 
when it's a salve that you need to make them feel better at the end of the day to, to, to quite frankly, uh, handle the PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder of being a lower economic position, you need a more applicable salve, a, a better meditative, a more direct meditative uh, technique to, to, uh, to deal with the, the emotional components of that and to more strongly believe that things are going to be okay or that you are part of the righteous or all the kind of uh, religious concepts that would come, come to play there. Not in any way, I'm not putting down any religious concepts in any way or not, not to say that they're right or wrong. I'm just saying that that psychologically makes a lot of sense as to why historically uh, we see that. Uh, I've noticed in my neuroscientific and psychological and philosophical studies. The, the only, the only uh, uh, trouble there, the only issue there is that um, uh, without, and that's why I built my, my meditation system the way it did, Without the cognitive, the high flutin component, without the Western component, the contemplation of, of these ideas, uh, uh, most religions that have been born since the beginning of human society have disappeared. Most religions have disappeared, statistically speaking. That's just a fact, right? Nobody worships Zeus anymore. Nobody prays. Uh, nobody worships the ancient gods of Babylon. Nobody worships the ancient gods of Egypt anymore. You know, most of the gods and goddesses that have been invented, discovered, I mean, I, you know, I, how, 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 do, how do I want to say that? Uh, most of those religions have failed uh, and they're, they're now left to the dust. Christianity, uh, monotheism, is actually a very, a very new, a newcomer. It's, although it's 2,000 years old or uh, uh, over 2,000 years old, uh, it's, it's, it's somewhat of a newcomer uh, religion uh, and didn't rule for anywhere near as long as the reign of Ra, for example, or the reign of the ancient Babylons. Uh, uh, at least I would make that argument. Christianity and, and Islam, at least for sure, uh, are very new in that in that regard. Uh, so we'll see how they we'll see their see with the longevity. We'll see how long those they hold out. How how useful they are for the human species to to uh, psychologically cope with their with their environment. But. Um, yeah, my point though is in all that is that, however, currently we still don't have a cohesive explanatory system of, of how we're gonna bring the left and the right together to talk. And this happens in society and society over time. Uh, and, uh, and we still need that objective component in the middle. I argue it's the good. Uh, it doesn't have to be my meditative, my meditative system, uh, but I argue it's the good. Uh, Plato's good is is uh, is is the objective central morality that we could use, and I think I could prove it to you, Alamo, if you want me to. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. So, uh, have you ever heard this phrase before? Have you ever had to sleep over at a friend's house, and he he has uh, he just has a couple pillows and he throws those on the ground for you, and he says, "I know it's not ideal, but." This is the best I can do. I don't have another bed for you. I don't have a blow-up mattress. Have you ever heard that kind of a phrase? I know it's not ideal, but, and then some kind of, some kind of uh, lesser than uh, ideal scenario. Yeah, I, I guess. Uh, I, I've heard, and Trump would say the opposite of it, which is, it is what it is, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, he'd say that, uh, that uh, uh, facts prove that the pillows on the floor 
are the best, they're the bestest pillows on the floor that you could ever have. Uh, and everybody knows it. People know it and everybody knows it. And uh, don't ask me any questions about it. That, that's probably along those lines of what you say. But. So uh, yeah, yes, exactly. But getting back to the statement. So um, who told your friend that they had to do what's ideal? Why did your friend apologize when it was not ideal? Well, it's a, I, I would say a cultural tradition or social norms, maybe. True. Um, that could be the, the instance in which he felt it appropriate to apologize, but why, what was he apologizing for? I guess that it would be the, the, the lack of it being uh, what is expected, you know, or what is the perfect thing that could, scenario that could happen. Who told him that, that, that the ideal thing is, is expected? Well, I would say that um, he, I think that he, it's all just social constructs. So he probably learned it from his parents or from other watching other people have a sleepover. <laughs> Uh, you, you think that his parents or you think that society could teach him that the ideal is the ideal? Well, um, yeah, I, I, I think that that's mostly the case because um, uh, the, nobody really knows how to be hospitable. But, and so the, I think that um, he would observe or know what is the right thing to do because he learned about it. I think, I think that's, that's why he thought uh, he would apologize. Uh, I don't know, Elmo, if you've noticed, but you're cutting yourself off at the end of your, at the end of your sentence. You're, 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 you're muting too quickly. <laughs> you don't have to mute yourself. Yeah, okay, I'm sorry. Oh, no problem. I, just, yeah, I can tell what you're saying because I can see your face and I can read your lips, but I'm pretty sure you're your listeners are, are getting cut off at the end of some of those sentences, but I will, I, will, I will stop beating around the bush and I will just give you my argument is that the ideal is a concept that is a permanent universal concept that yes, we have to teach each other about, but we do it by pointing to examples. And we say the, uh, you use another word, perfect, that uh, uh, anything that's without flaw is what perfect is. And the most without flaw is the ideal. And we didn't have to teach him to apologize for not getting it. He already knew that the ideal is that the ideal. He already knew that what's optimal is optimal. He already knew that what's perfect is perfect. We didn't have to teach him any of these concepts. And that's the concept of the good. The good is the gooder. There's no roof to the good. The good is as good as it gets. The good is the concept of value. The good is the concept of positivity. The good is the concept of importance. There's nothing more important and nothing more valuable than capital B, capital V value, than capital I importance. And everybody, every human being knows this. They all know that, uh, uh, that the ideal is ideal and it's ideal to seek it and that you are making a mistake when you haven't achieved it. And it's worth apologizing when you haven't achieved it. They know that every, every being, every other uh, uh, being deserves the ideal right? He knew that you deserved something more idyllic than just a couple pillows 
on the floor. If he could provide it, he know that he he knew that he should provide it. That's the good. All all of those those concepts wrapped into one are is Plato's good, and it's perfectly objective. It is it is transcultural, it is transgender, it is transtemporal, it's trans time. It uh, never changes. That is that is the permanent universal moral concept. Whether people want it to be or not, that's what it is. Um, you can you can add things to that. You can you can uh, incorporate that into many current religions. They say that God is good and God is nothing but the good, uh, and that's where they got it from. They got it from Plato. Christianity uh, started with Plato. Uh, they took Plato and they uh, largely through Augustine. Saint Augustine, as I said, to the Catholics, and they ran with it. And from Thomas Aquinas, we called Aristotle the master, but Aquinas, the Europeans didn't have a lot of knowledge about what the, what the difference between Aristotle and, and Plato was at that time, because sadly the uh, library at Alexandria had burnt down uh, a thousand years prior. Uh, but yes, the Arabs had Plato in completeness for a thousand years. Uh, before the Europeans got their hands on it again. And that's what caused the Renaissance in around the 1400s, 1500s, is with the, all the old Greeks coming back from all the people trading with the Arabs that they found that uh, they had uh, Plato and Aristotle in uh, perfect Greek, uh, in co incomplete, completely, not, not incomplete, fully complete is what I mean. Uh, so that's, that's, this, that's what I would argue is the central concept that we need to get back to. We need to realize what's optimal. And why do, we, why do you seek it? Why do we seek what's optimal? Because it's optimal. There is no other reason. There is no other reason required. There is no other reason desired. Why in, in science, why, build, why when we're building a bridge, why when we're trying to plan a party or do anything, do we seek to do the best we can do at it? Because better is better. There is no other reason. We don't need any other reason, right? Why do you try to seek to do what's ideal? Because it is the ideal. It is the standard by which we judge everything else. There is no other reason that we need to seek the ideal other than it's ideal. And it would be idyllic to seek it. The closer we get to it, the more idyllic we make it. And so this is the concept of optimality, the concept of idealism. This is the good. Uh, there's, there's, it's really what should be called the ideal in, in English, quite frankly, because it, the, the word ideal even is based on the Greek word idea, which is this was, and it was Plato's chief idea or edos was the good. So they really should be using the word ideal in English for, for Plato's good, but translators have called it the good. And so now that's what I must call it just so that other philosophers know what the heck I'm talking about. But really, it's the ideal. And this doesn't matter if you're left-wing or right-wing. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. It doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, or trans, or whatever you are. It doesn't matter if you have three feet or ten hands, or I don't care what, who you are or what you got. The ideal is the ideal, and it's ideal to seek it, and there's no other reason necessary, and there's no other reason required. And quite frankly, there's no other reason desired, because the more uh, rhetoric we put on top of that, the more we get away from just the simple truth of remembering that the optimal is optimal and it's optimal to seek it. And anything less is suboptimal and suboptimal is bad. Not if you could achieve what was optimal. It's a very simple idea. Like I said, I'm not smart. Philosophers are not smart. 
We take very simple ideas and we go, hey, look at this. And we dust the, we dust the, uh, the mud off them and say, this is the idea right here. It was, it, was, it was rattling around our feet the entire time. I didn't invent new English words. I looked at the English words and I said, hey, here's your morality right here you wanted. Why have we gone off and looked at all this other crap that's not morality when this is morality right here? And that's what philosophers do. Yeah. And so what, do you, what do you think uh, of that, Elmo? I have a feeling that this was your unfinished thesis, thesis and that um, because of your idealism, the academy didn't uh, like it. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're a very good detective. That's exactly, exactly correct. Yes. They would never, uh, academics are, are, are in, in Canada anyway, in, in the humanities are nothing but frauds. Who, uh, who, who have an exercise of trying to jargon up as something as much as possible, jargon it up until it makes no sense so that they can endlessly debate it and keep their, their pathetic little positions being paid by the public to debate nonsense uh, forever in the academia. Because in, in, uh, uh, they're all afraid uh, that the rest of the world knows, and we do know, that the humanities largely does nothing. <laughs> and that's not true. I don't think it does nothing at all. But, uh, but the philosophy department certainly does these days. Uh, and uh, just, except for argue about jargon endlessly for no reason, uh, because these are people who otherwise can't cope with society. Uh, they actually need psychological help is what they really need, quite frankly. They need therapy. But you're right. They would never, these, these uh, jargon seekers, these abused abusers, these jargon seekers would never, ever accept something so simple that's been staring them right in the face because it makes them all look so stupid. Yeah, and um, those are really uh, great ideas, Josh. And um, one last question, though, to, uh, so we can uh, end this. And it's been a great conversation, and having you here was awesome. Um, one last question. Uh, being a, someone who is uh, such an achiever and you're pushing a lot of, of your ideas in the world, like your uh, meditation, and idealism in politics, um, how would you uh, inspire or tell other people who are struggling themselves to, to change the world? How do you think they should go about making a good difference? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I think there's two parts to your question. I think the one part is getting uh, virtuous in their own soul and then trying to make that virtue out in the world. And so to get virtuous in your own soul, you need to meditate. You need to get enlightenment. You need to contemplate the good. You need to focus on the good. You need to realize what's good in life and realize that you're part of it uh, and uh, realize that you seek it. Uh, and that's a very nutshell, you know, very, very, very tiny little piece of it. And there's a lot of exercises you need to do to be able to get that depending on where you are. But that in a nutshell is what you need to do there. And then to see the rest of the virtue out in the world, you need to be smart. You need to be a hacker. You need to know how to hack these systems. I don't mean literally, I mean figuratively hack the systems. Um, you need to learn how to play the game better than everyone else is doing. The mega rich, uh, I haven't gone on my diatribe about the mega rich. I've avoided that diatribe for my diatribe about the good. So maybe next time I can give you my diatribe about the mega rich. But the mega rich is our enemy. 
the left wing is not the enemy of the right wing. The right wing is not the enemy of the left wing. That's what the mega rich want us to think because it's simple Bernaysian uh, psychology. Edward Bernays was the, was the nephew of Sigmund Freud. He lived in the beginning of the 20th century. He invented the terms public relations and he invented the term propaganda. What completely rules our world now. Everybody out there, everybody out there, yourself included, Elmo, you need to go watch the free documentary, The Century of the Self. It's on YouTube. Uh, I get it in Canada. I imagine you get it around the world. It's called The Century of the Self. You need to watch that. And that explains so much about philosophy and so much about uh, oligarchy in general and so much about uh, our, our uh, sad plutocratic situation we're in now, Plut Plut uh, plutocracy, the rule of the rich that we're in now. And that was completely brought about as a direct result of Nietzsche's, uh, 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 Frederick Nietzsche's philosophy stolen by Freud, Freud, Freud it up, and then, then stolen by Bernays, uh, uh, Freud's nephew, and then made as uh, sales tactics to change the world from a needs-based culture to a wants-based culture, all so that the mega-rich could sell more. They made women think that they, they at hairy armpits are disgusting. They need to shave those armpits so they could sell them more shaving cream and more razors. Same thing with their legs. They, 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 all the, all the, uh, if you've ever watched uh, Mad Men, the, the, the TV show about uh, advertising in the 60s, all of that comes from Bernays. The entire culture, that sell, sell, sell culture, all comes from Bernays. So you need to watch that Century of the Self. And if you want to change this, you need to realize that the game is completely unlocked by the mega rich. There is no way to destabilize them. There is no way to get rid of them. A uh, French Revolution-style uh, event is impossible. The rich noticed what happened in the French Revolution and noticed, just like now, they're wagging their, their riches in our faces too much. But, uh, but they live in their private villas. They have their private security uh, 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 guarding them. They own the American military. There is no way uh, to, to, to use force against the mega-rich. So this is what you do. You have to use the exact systems that the mega rich use, the systems they use to advertise to us, to sell to us, you need to use to educate everybody else. So instead of going out and uh, I was, I've been saying this on other podcasts, more American ones, but it, it applies worldwide. It applies worldwide. Instead of going out and, uh, uh, and, uh, and protesting in your city for whatever reason, instead of going out and protesting in your city and, and buying something at Starbucks, take that 20 bucks, that you would have, spent, and, and, and you know, that's not raging against the machine, that's raging along the machine. You still spent money in the machine. I, I find these Americans hilarious. They go out to protest the, the machine, and then they buy $20 a Starbucks, and then they buy a $40 I, I protested t shirt. That's not raging against the machine, that's raging alongside the machine. They're like, thanks, thanks very much. Like, they know exactly how to market to you, idiot, and, and they attract you on your phone. Uh, and now you're going to get you're going to catch a rubber bullet in the face and be blinded. Or now you're going to catch tear gas in the face and it's going to break your nose. And, and, and trust me, getting a broken nose sucks. I know. So that's the wrong way to do it. Do you notice that they don't really even put the? There's still protests going on in the states, every single city. Do you notice how you don't see them on the news anymore? Nobody talks about them anymore. Uh, over in the Philippines, you guys probably don't even know that there's still protests going on in every American city. You would only you only knew because the uh, Trump was extra stupid and put uh, unmarked, uh, unmarked police force on the street 
in Portland, and people were flipping out about that because that's a big no-no in their, in their system. You're not supposed to do that, right? That's a huge no-no in the American system. So that's the only reason why you still heard about it. Every other uh, city in the States was still having pro protests, and many other cities across the world are having protests, but nobody knows about it. You know why? Because wah, wah, media doesn't want to show it anymore because it's boring, right? And the rich who control the media don't want it shown anymore because they want to move, uh, they wanna move the, the, the conversation away to something else what, that they can control that they can sell on. So that doesn't work anymore. And that's just making yourself a target, right? The Hong Kong protesters in China, they are not having a good time, I assure you. And the stronger the mega rich gets and the more authoritarian our governments get, the, the more the protesters are gonna be uh, uh, met with, with increasingly drastic force. Uh, they're gonna be profiled, they're gonna be watched, they're gonna be arrested later on down the road. It is too dangerous, that is not the way to go. This is the way to go. There is only one thing that has always controlled the human population since the beginning of time. There is one thing that controls the world. Can you guess what it is, Elmo? Money. That's a very, very good guess. And that would be the second best, that would be the second thing that controls the world. But how do you know how to spend your money, Elmo? Uh, um, information, I guess information. Now you've got it, my friend. Education. Education has been and always will be the single most influential thing that, that controls the world, bar none. Human beings are learning computers. We only do what we do because we've learned to do it. Every problem is an educational problem. Why did he hit her like that? Because he was taught to, or he was taught not, he was not taught not to, right? Why did, why did he try to rob that bank? Because he was taught that that was his last, that the, 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 sum, the sum totality of his education told him that that was the last thing available to him to do, right? Every single problem is an educational problem. If you had educated people not to be abusive, you wouldn't have abusers. If you educated people not to do this or that, they wouldn't do those things anymore. If you educated them, as to the good, the left and right wouldn't be so, so bifurcated and societies and the world wouldn't be so broken. So that's what you need to do. You need to educate. Take the $20 you would have spent at Starbucks and buy a Facebook ad and title the ad, wow, conservative scientist confirms that climate change is real. And then you target everyone who watches Fox News and you spend $20 on that Facebook ad. At, at that, uh, if you're targeting Americans, it'll probably cost three, $4 a click. You'll only reach four or five people, but you would have reached four or five people. As opposed to your protest, who is reaching nobody right now, and you cannot control the outcome of how it reaches them. The media portrays the protesters on the right as rioters as, and thugs. That's not helping your cause. That's hurting your cause. And the left portrays them as sympathetic uh, protesters. That's not helping them either, because there are some writers in that, in that mix. There's some bad apples in there, of course. There's bad apples everywhere. There's always some assholes going to ruin it for, for everybody in every group of, of sufficient size. So don't go out there and spend a $40 on I rioted t-shirt. Take your $40, go on to Google, and buy a Google ad that says whatever. Whatever knowledge the other group is missing that they need to know, find a factual article about it, not some propaganda piece, a real article by real scientists, and then, then do something like, you know, um, 
scientists proves that vaccines are good for you and have never caused this or that, this or that, blah, 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 and send it to the anti-vaxxers or whatever it is. You know, maybe I'm picking, I'm clearly left wing, so I'm picking one, ones on my side. I don't know what the right wing would do. <laughs> um, um, scientists proves that if, if you're trans, you should just forget about it and live a life of the wrong gender. I don't know, <laughs> whichever one you, you want, right? Pick a side. I don't care what the side is, what the side is. But take that money and try to send it to the other side because in that case, the truth will win. Right now, when we're, we're just talking about emotions, the truth cannot win. But when we make the argument about the truth, then the truth will win necessarily. And that's what you need to do before the rich decide to close that system out. Before they finally actually make Zuckerberg give a shit and stop all the political ads on his system, uh, we need to use it to our advantage to combat the, the influence of the mega rich, to make the populace more intelligent, and so that we will work better together. Because the whole reason why we're working poorly together is because the mega, and this is, this is the whole reason why. It's just because, and if you watch the century of the self, you'll see it plain as day. It's because the mega rich wants us stupid so that we buy more. That is the entire, and they don't care that we'll destroy the world, world. They don't care. They have their eyes on Mars. They have their eyes on the moon, right? They have private villas. They have bunkers with millions of years of air and water and food. They don't care that we'll destroy the world. They want to keep us as dumb as possible to keep their profit margins up. So we're not so discerning buyers. And that is, that is literally the reason why climate change and the world is going to, going to shit and there's so much fighting. That is literally the reason. And that's because they're educated. No one has educated the rich not to do that. The last great philosopher Nietzsche said there is no morality. And so the rich said, great, now I can do whatever I want. Thank you, Nietzsche. And the rich go and do that. And if you watch the century yourself, you get a lot of the evidence behind all those things that I've said. But it is, it is that simple. The rich want us dumb, and so we're dumb. The rich wants us to be unreasoning Homer Simpsons who just desire, desire, desire. And so they sell to us more and more and more. It improves their profit margins. If we're smart, we can contest what they're doing. If we're smart, we can read between the lines and see when they've abused human rights. We can see when they've uh, sold us cancerous products. That, they don't want that. They don't like that. They don't like being uh, uh, found out like that. That gets in the way of their profit margin. That's why they want us dumb. And that's why we are. Yeah. And um, that was a very, very, very uh, awesome conversation, Josh. And, it was my um, pleasure, Elmo. And I hope that you could uh, guest again, you know, and <laughs> it's really, really, I really, really love uh, talking to you. And I, I also, um, um, uh, do you want to plug anything or, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Uh, if people want to check out my meditation system, go to bit.ly slash Bach meditation, B-A-C-H meditation. And if they want to check out uh, more, uh, if this was depressing and they want something funnier, I have another podcast called Comic Versus Philosopher, where, where I debate a comic on any philosophical topic. Uh, and the comic I have is really good. His name is Phil Lebovitz. He's worked with Steve Carell, Jason Scott Alexander, David Cross, Bob Odenkirk, Michael McKean. He's worked with a, just a slew of huge American comics. Uh, and uh, I debate him every week on a philosophical uh, topic. Uh, and, uh, uh, and hilarity ensues, <laughs> I assure you. And that's it, bit.ly slash comic versus philosopher. Or you can search comic versus philosopher on iTunes or any place that you get, uh, just about any place you get uh, podcast, except for Stitcher. Stitcher is giving me a problem right now. They, they, I can't get it published on there for some reason. Everywhere else, 
I, I have it. It's also at bit.ly slash comic versus philosopher, no uppercase, just comic VS versus philosopher, all lowercase, no punctuation. Uh, and you can find it there as well. Yeah. And um, Josh, thank you so much. And we are ending in. So that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is your host, Elmo Ador Jr. And thank you for listening in. And please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. Thank you.